Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to episode two of Microchurch Next, brought to you by the Leadership Network. Uh, just last week, we began this new initiative. It's a new table uh, that you're invited to. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Leadership Network, we exist to convene catalytic conversations that foster spirit-led movements of innovation. At its core, it's a prophetic role within the church, helping the church sense what is the spirit doing next across the body of Christ? And then we want to help um, leaders perceive that and pursue that. And the Leadership Network team has identified six of these next themes that they believe the Holy Spirit is highlighting. And one of those is the emergence of microchurch movements in the West. So this space, Tuesdays, 1230 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be having these conversations almost every Tuesday this whole year. I know it's a virtual space, but I'm praying that this becomes a fire uh, where we can learn from innovators in microchurch movements, where we can help equip early adopters. Uh, you, we're here to serve you, and we want to come together and most of all see Jesus' presence, his leadership, his headship, and we want this to be a place where you can be reminded weekly, you're not alone, uh, you're not crazy. There's a lot of room on the island of misfit toys, and you are welcomed here. So welcome to episode two. And uh, the series theme that we're starting with is return of the microchurch. Now, of course, uh, we're using this word microchurch to describe actually a very ancient form of the church. And a compelling case can be made that microchurch is the original design uh, when we look within the pages of the New Testament. It's also the primary expression of the church in, in the most significant disciple-making movements that are on the planet today, in places, places like India and China. And now uh, there is a great move of the Spirit to re return to this form of the church here in the West uh, for biblical reasons, first and foremost, for cultural reasons, and for missiological reasons. And each week we're going to be discussing a different dimension. This week, the question is this, are microchurches really any different than small groups. Most of us have been involved in some kind of legacy expression of the church where there's been this smaller subset of the church called small groups. And, and I know I've had this conversation many, many, many times uh, over the last 10 years. People go, aren't we already doing that? We have weekend services and then we have small groups. And, and so we're going to dive into that today because there are distinctions. And I am thrilled. Our guest today is Jeff Vanderstelt. He's one of my heroes. Uh, he's the visionary leader of Saturate and the Soma family of churches. He's had a huge influence on me and the entire Kansas City Underground family. I spent a lot of time back in the day around 2008, 2009 uh, with Jeff in Tacoma, uh, repeated trips, and it was genuinely life-changing uh, for me. And Jeff, it is an honor to have you here today, brother. Thanks for making time to be at this table. It's so good to be with you, Rob. You're a dear friend, man. Well, we're going to get into it today, this question of uh, the difference between small groups and microchurches. But first, I just uh, I love for those who maybe haven't heard your story to get to know you a little bit better. So first of all, tell us about your family and uh, tell us some of the things that you love to do as a family. Yeah, I've been uh, married to my lovely wife for uh, 
about 29 years. Uh, her name's Janie, and uh, we have three children. Our oldest is a sophomore at the University of Washington. Her name's Haley. Uh, she's studying. I love this. This is a side note, but I want to brag on it a little bit. She's studying a double major under architecture, but it's a uh, community development. Uh, so environmental community development. She came to me, she said, Dad, I'm doing that because I want to see change in the world. But my other major is real estate because I need to be able to fund it. So just love that she's like thinking creatively, <laughs> like, okay, I've got to fund the change that I want to bring into the world. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful that even our family, I know, shaped a lot of that vision for her to say, how do we care for communities and see transformation happen? So that's uh, Haley. Then Caleb's a senior in high school. Um, he's, a, he's just a really good, sweet kid. And um going to be going off to college soon. And then our youngest, Maggie, is a freshman in high school. So we're coming to the end. You know, we got a few more years left. Oh, and we'll yeah. be, uh, man, it's crazy stuff. But love them so Joe much. Joe and I, it's, we're we're a little bit farther ahead of you. So we must have been before you guys, man. We got you did, two graduated from college. I think I'm older than you, I, aren't I? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we were had a, a graduate. 10-year ten year, ten year yeah. journey for us to have kids. It was a hard journey, honestly. But. The Lord knew, you know, what he, what he had in stores, what, well, he gave us. Well, uh, you know, Jeff, a lot of folks, um, you know, you've, you've been in this world of microchurch intentional disciple making for a long time. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people, uh, are familiar with, uh, your story. You actually started, um, at one of the premier influential attractional churches, um, and I just thought it'd be helpful to just, um, for you to share your story. One of the things I love is, um, sometimes in movements, there's sort of an angsty, um, almost adolescent response to what was, and some of that's important. We need the prophetic voice, but what I love is you, I think you honor all expressions of the church, including legacy church, and you've been willing to lay your life down for any form of the church. Jesus calls you to serve, mm-hmm. um, but would you just tell your story about being on staff at Willow Creek and how the Lord moved you into a different expression of the church as microchurch or missional community? Yeah, even before that, I was at a, a small kind of mainline Denom church, uh, served you know that for a while, then at a, a Willow Creek Association church that was 4,000 or so, and then eventually at Willow Creek, all in student ministries. And in each case, we took very seriously training up students to make disciples who make disciples. And I would often have parents come to me and say, I don't know what happened to my kid, but like he's sharing his faith or he's leading a Bible study at school. Like what's what's happening and how do I do that? And so for me, it was just seeing that over and over again in every every situation, not just Willow, but in every situation we were in and um, coming to a conviction that. I would watch these students graduate in what they called big church. And it really felt like they were being encouraged to take a seat, invite someone to fill the seat next to them and watch somebody else now do it. And I watched a lot of disillusionment amongst those students who in a sense were in the game and now we're kind of watching from the stand, somebody else play the game. And some left as a result and started new works. God bless that. Others, tried to work within, you know, how do we bring change? Now, for me, I just came to a conviction that um, maybe there's a space to start some new forms of church that that really do expect every believer to be a disciple-making uh, follower of Jesus. And that led us back to the Northwest. My wife grew up in Seattle. I met her in Seattle back in, the, in 91 uh, when I moved there. And 
So we, we started a church called Soma, and um, that was in Tacoma, Washington in 2003. And the intent was, how do we enable every, you know, equip and train and, and mobilize every believer for discipleship in everyday life, seeing every person as a minister of the gospel, every person as a missionary. Uh, and our hope would be that if they were with us for three to five years, they could go to anywhere in the world and reproduce it um, and start their own you know, we call them missional communities, but really that was the language we had back then for a microchurch expression. And uh, God really blessed that venture. You know, we spent about a year with the first core group. Uh, our launch, quote unquote, you know, people use that language in church planning was launching four missional communities. We just commissioned four expressions of the church in neighborhoods to begin to get on mission. And, and those multiplied to eight and then 16 and eventually grew to have well over a thousand people in in some form of a missional community expression and far less than that in our kind of equipping gathering, uh, which we'd always thought, like, if you have a truly missional church, you have more people out there than right. in here. And that's mm -hmm. really what we got to experience. It was really a blessing. And people come started coming to learn from us and they'd show up on Sunday to our equipping gathering. We'd say, no, this is probably not the best place to start. You got to start in everyday life. Yes. So they, they live with people, you know, one pastor moved his family from Denmark and spent a whole year living mm -hmm. with one, you know, in our community learning and brought it back to the Lutheran church in Denmark, still doing great work there. It's incredible. But, uh, that you know, one of the things school. that, yeah. um, I love that I resonate with, um, is we often tell people, hey, you know, half the people that are in the Kansas City Underground don't know they're in the Kansas City Underground. <laughs> All they know is like they're in an extended spiritual family that's built around Jesus and they're living in everyday gospel community and they're experiencing mission together and community together. And uh, yeah. and that's what they know, you know, and uh, when it's helpful for them to know and they need and there are some points in the journey where it is helpful for them to know, um, then they'll know. And, and so I, I resonate with your story, man. It's uh, mm -hmm. we want to see that kind of viral spread of ordinary people on mission, making disciples who do the same. I'm curious. Um, would you share uh, last week? We talked about what is microchurch with Lucas uh, Pulley, uh from the underground network. And I'm, I, would you share what has become Soma's, definition for a microchurch or a missional community because what matters most isn't the the word microchurch or mission community what matters most is actually the purpose we're talking about underneath it so what is that for you all yeah and it comes out of our baptismal identity and i'll explain that in a moment but it basically is we're a family of servant missionaries sent as disciples who make disciples so family baptized in the name of the father that's where we get our familial identity that's where we learn how to love one another like a family that is the expression of the father to the world. They, 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 they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, Jesus says. So family of servant, uh, we're baptized in the name of the son and Jesus is the king in Matthew's gospel. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And then he says, whatever we do to the least of these we've done unto him. So the way we worship Jesus is through serving people. Um, and that, that is the act of worship Paul calls us to is offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. So we're servants of the king as we express his kingdom in everyday life through everyday acts of service and kindness and mercy. And then last, uh, we're missionaries. So we're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. It's not you will go witness, it's you will be. These are all identity statements 
So mm-hmm. we are the witnesses of Jesus. We are missionary people sent and powered by the Holy Spirit. And so for us, a missional community is going to say, let's love one another like family. Let's serve in tangible ways so they see the kingdom breaking into everyday life. And then let's be ready to bring the presence of Jesus in both proclamation as well as signs um, in terms of declaring who our king is, what he's done, being very gospel fluent to share the gospel in everyday life, but also to be filled with the spirit so that they're seeing the very presence of God in his people. Um, And that just, that, that is a mission of community is living out those three identities as disciples of Jesus sent to make disciples. Amen. You know, for us in the Kansas City Underground, which again, we're uh, downstream from you all. Uh, we say a, a microchurch is an extended spiritual family led by ordinary people who seek to live in everyday gospel community and own the mission of Jesus and their network of relationships. So like you, first and foremost, it's about identity. We're beloved sons and daughters and we're a beloved family. And we have the perfect father. It's led by ordinary people. So this is about first Re- reformation was about putting the Bible back in people's hands. The current reformation is about putting mission back the hands of ordinary people. It's, it's, it's not a professional movement. It's all of God's people. It's the birthright of every child of God to be a missionary disciple maker. We're seeking to live in everyday gospel community. So we're saying let's activate the 90 plus one another commands and the, we we're going to marry, bury, grieve, celebrate everything in between. And that's that gospel presence. It's the communal witness that becomes the greatest apologetic for the gospel. Amen. Yeah. When, they, when they see and experience the presence of Jesus in his body, that's embodied in owning the mission of Jesus. And for us, again, it's that fusion of community worship and mission and worship. Uh, our definition, this is something familiar. It's about moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of life. It's not a style of music. It's all of life offered back to Jesus. And then we're owning the mission of Jesus in a specific network of relationships. So, we look at Kansas City like um, a mission agency would look at Papua New Guinea. It's like, h- how many unreached pockets of people do we have? Thousands of them. So we need to activate at least two missionaries into every unreached pocket of people. So we have this vision of equipping 42,000 missionaries in Kansas City over the next four years. Um, because we want a gospel presence in every network of relationships, because that would actually fill the city with the fullness of Jesus. Mm. So, but fundamentally, I think we're describing the same things, yeah. you know, and uh, so thank you for your mentorship, mm. man. <laughs> oh, yeah. we, we got, we're going to get into the specific question in a minute, but we got a great question um, that, and I want to say to you again, we're, we're on this virtual platform. I wish we were all actually at a physical table. Oh yeah. There's some limitations, yeah. um, but we do want your questions. Also, by the way, Like, again, we want you to set this table in your calendar every week, if you can, 1230. And we're looking at other platforms so we can make this even more interactive. Uh, But thank you for this first question. And we welcome your other questions as we're going along. Drop them into the chat. And Bruce is going to get them to us. But this question, I thought, we're going to pull back the camera lens to like a 10,000 foot view on this one. So here's a question for the series. What's different about the microchurch conversation from the missional church conversation of the past two decades? What specific ways is the microchurch conversation moving forward in ways that are distinct or unique from the missional conversation? I know there's overlap between the two, but I wonder what isn't overlapped. Great question. 
No, it's a good question. So, and good questions take a minute. So I'm going to like share something that popped into my head and I want to bring it back to you. So this is the way I see it. Um, You know, Newbegin basically kicked this thing off and bringing his missionary experience from India and saying, listen, we're, we are now in a missionary context in America. There were other forces like what was going on uh, at Fuller with Peter Wagner and, and what at first there was an effort to sort of um, bring missional ideas and incarnation ideas into the Christendom form of church. So we, we called it being externally focused church for the unchurched uh, cultural relevance, but we never messed with the ecclesiology. It was the, it was basically church as a program, a building run by professionals, um, a time and a specific kind of weird fourth space that only Christians have <laughs> that we're inviting people to come to. And then I think what happened with like forgotten ways with Alan Hirsch, our missional Yoda that we love so much, um, is he began to help us uh, rediscover church's movement. There's also been this historic move of God outside the Western world, where the church as a genuine disciple-making movement that has led to church planting movements. So DMM precedes CPM. So we have this incredible embodiment where what's happening in the book of Acts is being repeated in literally thousands of places around the world in the same time. And with the short-term missions movement, there's more of us getting direct exposure. And so now there's this reformation at the level of ecclesiology that's happening. And then also a reformation around mobilization, like the, uh, destroying the like satanic caste system of the clergy and the laity. And the way I look at it, particularly the last 20 years, there were some tip of the spear innovators like um, Tampa Underground, Soma family of churches um, and others that we don't even know by name, you know, because our perspective is so small. And I look at it sort of like when on D-Day, when we stormed Normandy, there was a lot of young men that came out of those boats and they had to lay their bodies down so that someone else could come up behind them and basically get a beachhead. And, And so there's been a lot of experiments done that people in the predominant model have looked at and said, it's not very fruitful. It's not very successful. We're baptizing more people, but that's a short-term point of view. It's like, no, you don't understand where we need a breakthrough into a, a movemental expression of the church. And it's going to require some of us to go out and fail, but in the kingdom, we're not, we're thinking generationally. We're not thinking the, the next six week series, God help us to repent. So now they're starting to be like mature forms that are, now we're like tip of the spear early adopters. So that's sort of my perspective uh, on that question. Um, what, what are your thoughts, comments? What narrative do you see? Do you want me to respond? Yeah. What do you think? I think you did a good job historically capturing that. I, I do think Newbiggins and really captured by Guter's book, Missional Church, started the conversation and really led to us saying, how do we take the existing form of church and make it more missional? And then there were a few of us who said, how do we start a church with mission as its identity? And, and then what came out of that, I think, were the missional community, at least the way we did. There are others who did it a little differently. But I know for us, we kept saying, no, 
the the whole reason we're creating this is because we're trying to create the, the means by which mission gets accomplished. And the ecclesia should be defined by that. Um, and I think the opposite was happening is that we define ecclesia, what is the church? And then we say, now, how do we make, get mission accomplished through it? And Christopher Wright and others said, no, 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 no. The, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. So like, the church yeah. is the outcome of mission, not, not the end of mission. The goal wasn't a church. The goal was the mission of God in all the world. And the church is the means by which he brought, brings it about. And so the mission of God precedes church and therefore informs church. And I think for a lot of people, missional church was a way of saying, we already know what church is. Now, how do we make it more missional? How do we, how do we engage the lost more intentionally? And so it really became almost like an evangelism emphasis. Like, how do we just do better evangelism through the present forms of church? And I think some really great things happened. But like you said, in a lot of cases, it birthed a lot of babies, but it didn't raise up new families. Mm-hmm. And I think if we only celebrated babies born, but we didn't have mature humans who could form new families, we'd say that we failed as a family. And Mm -hmm. so I think missional says, no, 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 we've got to keep leading in such a way that more families can get started away from us uh, because it's second, third, fourth generation, like any healthy family would have. And so I think those are some of the distinctives of where we're headed. And so what I really think we're at now is we're saying, what is a missional ecclesiology? Not as what, not just what is missional church, but what is a, how do we see ecclesiology through the lens of mission? Yes. Uh, And I think that's the big conversation right now, which is leading to us saying, how do you create more nimble, transferable, reproducible, sustainable expressions of church that anybody could lead in any place? Because that's what the early church was. It was normal, everyday people that were uneducated for the most part, being a part of a movement of God. So. Yeah, Alan's pithy way of summarizing it is our Christology is what informs our missiology, which then that leads to a healthy ecclesiology in that order. And you're right. I think there was a, there was, it was like being worked at in a backwards sort of way. Like, okay, we have this form of a church. We're trying to make a mission. It's like, no, we have to go back and return to Jesus and, and have the Lord, um, deconstruct um our idolatries and we go forward with repentance and then as as we return to the original um pictures that we have of jesus and the gospel and then what was what did his church look like (laughs) what did his mission look like and well in that uh, order that you just gave is exactly how the scriptures lay it out we have the gospels so we've got christology then we've got the spirit poured out, missiology. I mean, Jesus does doing mission, but then it got poured on the church and they now are his witnesses. And then what you get is the expression of the church throughout Acts being described. And we, when we flip that, we go, no, I've got to figure out what church is first, and then we'll figure out how to get on missions second. And then somehow Jesus is almost at the end for a lot of people. It's like we flipped the whole thing. We're like, are you kidding me? This is about him. He's the head of the church. Let him lead it. <laughs> So, yeah. And we all know what it's like to live in that crazy town, man. Yeah. And the Lord is so gracious. He's so kind. Yes, he but really is. I want to say to anybody right now where you're feeling trapped in that machine, it's like, just go back to Jesus' feet. And just ask him, Lord, what, what is my next step? Yeah. He'll, he'll give you the easy yoke. He'll show you the way. And we're glad, yeah. we're glad you're here today. 
Well, and uh, you and Rob and I, we've made plenty of mistakes. Like we've got our own journeys of where we've failed and screwed up. God's been so kind and gracious to us. So yeah, he's got plenty of grace for all of us. Amen. And that question is actually a wonderful setup for this discussion today. Um, our, like, What is the difference between um, a small group and a micro church? Um, so let's, let's get into it, man. Um, mm -hmm. you, uh, Jeff has written a wonderful article. We're going to be releasing that prior or rather uh, post to this conversation. Um, so Jeff, what's the first distinction that pops to your mind between those two? We'll just, we'll bat it around. I think it's back to this conversation of ecclesiology. What is church? And the, 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 the small group expression most often finds itself inside of a larger ecclesiological kind of um, expression. So they, they would, in that particular perspective, the, the statement would be, uh, we might be a church of small groups. That might be the, the best they get at in terms of it being, you know, a unique expression of the church. But most churches would say uh, small groups are a subset of the church they're they're not fully church in and of themselves um and and would not be comfortable saying like that itself is church uh and how do we support that um so and we could get into the nuances of what i mean by that but in most cases it's you know it's a uh, sunday is what we call church and then we can't do the one another's in Sunday. There's a lot of things we can't express in Sunday. Sunday's too big to do a lot of things we read in scripture. So small groups becomes the place in which we can practice those other things. Um, at worst, I think it becomes a retention strategy. Like people, the language people are probably familiar with is it's a way to close the back door. Like Sunday's the front door. Small groups are how we close the back door. So we don't see people leaving because it gets them connected to relationship that they can't get in a larger gathering. So we give it to them in a smaller gathering. And I don't intend for that to sound sinister at all. It's just, that is the way it's been talked about for quite some time, that it becomes a retention strategy for the church. And that's very different than how missional communities are expressed. Missional community would be like, no, this is the church. What they're doing is enough. Um, and we could talk about some of the other things about, you know, some other distinctions in a minute, but, but uh, that I think, at the heart would be one of the biggest distinctions is one is a subset of the church. The other is fully an expression of the church. Yeah. I think people in small groups would likely say something like uh, we are in a small group and we go to church at four corners. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people in a micro church, if you, if you ask them, tell me about your church, they're not going to say, Oh, my lead pastor is a great communicator. You'll love our worship team. We have services at 9.30 and 10.30. What they're going to do is they're going to tell you about names. And yeah. so let me tell you about Lori. She lives four houses down from me. You know, let me tell you about Tyler and Michaela and what they mean to me. They're going to describe a family that's living on mission, um, that together is fully the church. Now, there's a journey to arrive at that. Yeah. Um, like we, for example... This is another difference too. Like typically small groups have been organized by a church, like by a professional where um, micro churches emerge organically out of disciple making in the harvest. So in the Kansas City underground, out of all of our micro churches, I think there's one or two that we've sort of like did this sort of like matchmaker thing and put some people 
together. And one of those doesn't exist anymore. All the other ones were basically people going as missionaries with a partner, a team, owning the mission of Jesus in a particular unreached pocket of people and going on this missionary journey and, and seeing the Lord draw people to himself and a new family emerges. And we even have a tool that we give to the microchurches that we actually got from a disciple making movement in Africa, where um, when you begin to see these regular rhythms of worship, community, and mission, we do a particular study on the book of Acts uh, chapter two. And we just, we have this, we have a draw circle and we go, okay, let's brainstorm everything that was a part of the life of the, of the early church in this chapter. And they usually come up with eight to 10 things. And, uh, and if the kids are, you know, we tell the kids draw a picture of every single one of them. And then as a community, you begin to say, okay, let's put them in the circle. What ones do we experience together? And I remember in our micro church, um, when we had this moment, <laughs> they're putting everything in except for the large gathering in the temple courts. We didn't have that. <laughs> and one of our neighbors went, wait a minute, we're a church. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then someone else went, oh, we're a church. She started crying. Huh. We're a church. It's like, yeah, we are. Hmm. We're in the spiritual family. And that's a beautiful moment, man. <laughs> hmm. You want every child of God to experience, you know, like we have this new family that the Lord has birthed, you know? So, you know, um, Rob, as you say that, one of the things I'd say is that I didn't put this in, in my article that I wrote, but I think another one of the distinctions is that statement that we are a church. It's like anybody can can make can like be a part of making this thing happen. Amen. Like in a, a church with small groups, it's like there's only few that could really lead that, like the, the preaching, teaching ministry of a stage and music and all those kind of things. That's very few can really do that. And and it's beautiful. I mean, there's beautiful preaching and beautiful music and all that. But if that's how you see church, then very few will ever get to like start one of those. But what you just described, like anybody can start that. They have the spirit of God and mm -hmm. they have the word of God and they have a submitted heart to Jesus. Like they all could start that. And that's yeah. just, that's another distinction is I think it's it's something that can be done by anybody anywhere. Mm -hmm. So the language I often use about movement is, is if you want real movement, it's got to be, you got to, whatever you do, it's got to be transferable. It can be done anywhere. Mm -hmm. Reproducible can be done by anyone. Mm -hmm. And sustainable can be done with very little resource. Mm -hmm. And if you've got those three, those three are very distinct in a microchurch expression because you mm -hmm. really can do it anywhere by anyone, any with very little resource. You just need people yeah. <laughs> and the you spirit. Know, Something else that's a subtext to what you're saying is sort of the starting point, like starting point. How would you describe the starting point social contract for a small group versus a microchurch? Well, most small groups, the starting point is that they're already committed to another, to a, the large expression of church serving at that, that those expressions, you know, whether it's children's ministry or greeting or whatever, like there's going to serve. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways that the small group is part of a larger contract of mm -hmm. like, we're doing all these things. And then, but then the small group, really the contract is let's at least get together maybe once a week mm -hmm. for a short amount of time. And mostly community. Yeah. It's usually community as the main expression or goal of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That we'll, we'll care for each other. Mm -hmm. So and maybe, very, maybe some additional content. We watch a video 
Right. We might do some study or some discussion around the content of a sermon or whatever it may be. Yeah, that, that is what you're committed to. Whereas yeah. I think a missional community or microchurch expression, some are calling it simple church, there's a variety of ways to describe it. I think it's really saying we're, we're committed to work out the fivefold expression of oh, who Jesus on. is. You know, that, that yeah, okay. he is shepherd, so we're going to care for one another. There is community. He is teacher. Yes, we're going to look at his word together and learn and grow and obey it. But he's also prophet. We're going to bring out about acts of mercy and justice and hearing from the spirit and hopefully signs and wonders are going to accompany that as we submit to him. He's evangelist. We're going to be sharing the gospel with non-believers, inviting them into the life of the kingdom and to meet our father and see the love that he has for us. And it's apostolic that we're going to continue to multiply expressions out because we're trying to see this thing fill the whole city with the presence of Christ. And so I think a, a microchurch is going to say, we, we are going to live out all five of those expressions mm-hmm. as the people of God, whereas a small group usually is going to maybe do one or two, the shepherd teacher, sometimes the prophetic in terms of acts of mercy, rarely the evangelistic and apostolic. That's, those are pretty rare in most small group expressions. Yeah, that's, that's I think, a massive distinction. Um, like if the, if the fivefold are like, the systems of a body like respiratory, digestive, circulatory, you know, if you only have 10% of your systems running, you're missing most of the fully alive life Jesus is calling us to. And, and I agree microchurch at, for us. And I see this increasingly across the different microchurch networks that I know we're trying to see all five voices activated at every level. Like how do we equip, every single microchurch expression to know and activate all five voices and practice mutual submission, like become an emotionally healthy family where we submit to one another and honor each other's distinctions. Um, And I know you, you have done a lot of work in that area. Um, And I think the church one of the things I'm most excited uh, about this movement that's growing in the West is the restoration of these like spiritually and emotionally healthy families that are like hyper local. Mm. Like that's the thing I look at and go, that'll change the culture of a city. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it will. Um, what, what are, what are, and what are some other distinctions that popped to your mind? Well, I, I do think, um, I think the idea that um, a micro church expression is seeing everyday life as, as where they live out their identity as the church. That's a very significant, I think, distinction to go like, okay, like when we hung out and had a cookout at our house Friday night, we were being the church together. Uh, Yeah. When we, you know, when, when we went to the sporting event together and, you know, got to have some great conversations with people in the stands. We are being the church together. Like all that is being the church, which again, feels so much like acts, right? It's like when you read the account of acts, it's like the church is moving, you know, it's, it's not stagnant. It's not in a place that's stuck in one location, but it's, it's all over the place. It's more amoeba like, um, you know, or like the starfish concept, like you talk about, like it, it's not, you, it's not stuck to one leader or one place or one, you can cut off a part of the starfish and it grows back again. It's like, it's got this movement reality to it. That's so different. I think then we got to get a, and again, I'm not trying to disparage. I'm just trying to say the difference, like the, the other 
approach to church is we get a building, we get a staff, we get programs. They're, they're very stagnant in the sense that you, you don't move those around. You know, they're, they, they have a sense of place that you go to and experience the, the church itself in that place, in those times. And I think the microchurch says, oh, no, no, the, the church is moving. And the, wherever you're with them, you're experiencing what it means to be a part of the church. And I think that's why the, per, the people could say, wait a minute, we're a church. And they're like, they didn't know they were a church. <laughs> like, I think that's the beauty of it. It's like, you didn't know you were a part of something, but you were. You love it, but you didn't know what to call it. Yeah. We're going to give you language for what you've been a part of. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like the language of like foster to adopt. You know, it's like in a mm-hmm. lot of ways that the mission of God is saying, we're going to be a family that's healthy enough to invite those who don't have a family in. Mm-hmm. So they get to experience what it's like to belong to the family of God so much that they want to be a part of it. And then mm-hmm. our heavenly father says, yes, you are, you are my kid. Amen. I adopt you into my family. And this, these are your brothers and sisters and you didn't know it, but now you do. Yeah. They've been with you all along trying to help you know what it's like to come back to dad. Amen. And I, I really think that that's, it's in that sense, it's so much more um, mysterious and covert in a lot of ways. It's, it's not a sign. It's not a logo. It's not a brand. It's his people on mission in everyday life. So. And, and this is, I think it brings this other distinction to my mind that I think is again, a subtext of what you're saying like most small groups are made up of um, people from multiple relational networks. And it's very difficult to do life together because you all live in separate relational networks. And then you're trying to coordinate a time to get together once a week. And then maybe some texting, maybe every once in a while we can squeeze in another night to go out to dinner, but it's not that everyday experience because we're all invested in these different relational networks versus Micro, when you're um, planting the gospel, uh, seeing people take steps to follow Jesus, become new disciples, but you're all, for us, it's our neighborhood. It's like, we're all in the same network of relationships, you know, and we've got, we've seen that emerge in dozens of contexts in Kansas city. Then the, then it becomes daily discipleship because we are in the same relational network. And I'm going to see you at the mailbox. I'm going to see you at the track behind the school. We're going to uh, be sad that the Chiefs lost and go ahead and watch the Super Bowl together anyway and not really watch any of it. <laughs> That's what we did. That's what... <laughs> we were very focused on the food and other things. <laughs> this is how much to... I love Jesus. I was you were actually... freed up to love one another even more. <laughs> right. Here's how much I love Jesus. I was pulling for, for Cincinnati, man. I was. <laughs> I love my enemies. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I was pulling for the Rams, which is our enemy in the NFC West. So, <laughs> But that's only because I'm a Stafford fan for years, watched him suffer in the, for the Lions for 12 years. So it's, like, that boy needs to get something. <laughs> He's paid his dues. <laughs> well, Jeff, let me ask you. I mean, you've given... I don't know, decades of your life now to equipping people to do this. Like why? And I know you're making a shift to uh, create even more space to catalyze this in cities, yeah. you know, all yeah. over America through saturate. Yeah. Um, why? Why? Yeah. Why um, I mean, one, there's just such a deep, deep conviction in me that I, I can't shake 
It's been there for so long. And I mean, when I first became a Christian, when I was 21, Robert E. Coleman's book was the, one of the first books I read, you know, uh, Master Plan of Evangelism. And Jacked you all up. It did jack me up because I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't see, I couldn't see church in the way I used to see it. You know, I grew up in the church, but I didn't really meet Jesus personally until I was 21. And so it's just so deeply ingrained in me that this is what we're, we were saved for a purpose. <laughs> when I, when I think of election, it's not who's in and who's out. It's what for we've been elect for the purposes of God in this world that, he set us apart for this work. And so I've been saved for this. So that's part of it, you know? And so it's so deep in me, but then I think in this particular moment in history, I love how you framed it up at the beginning that in the reformation, we got the Bible back to the people, but now I think the reformation is we're getting the mission back to the people that mobilizing the, the priesthood of the saints in everyday life is I think the last, the last part of the equation before Jesus returns. I really believe that 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 has to happen. The oneness of the church, John 17, in the midst of mission and everyday life is the means by which I think we're going to see the fulfillment of Jesus's plan. And so so that's the second reason. And the third is, I think, in our present cultural milieu, um, you know, I'm in Seattle and people are not going to go to a church building. It's just I mean, Christians will. And we can, I think, continue to think we're doing well because Christians move into town for a job at Amazon and then join your church. But I don't, I don't believe non-believers are going to come to a building. I mean, the non-believing friends I have have been very clear that they never will. Like they have no desire to. They think it's not something they want to be a part of. And so, just for yeah. the sake of the yeah. missions, like yeah. why would why would I want to keep doing something I don't think is going to help my non-believing friends come to faith in Jesus? So. They they meet him when we're hanging out together at a meal or at a party and like so just functionally, um, I think it's it's and if I'm just gonna be pragmatic, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the best way to make disciples. Um, I don't know how to know someone's life unless I'm in life with them. I don't know how to show them what it's like to follow Jesus unless they watch my life. And so for me, the the actual pragmatics of what we're called to do is has led me to this place and so therefore i want to equip as many people as i can and i want to equip in as many kinds of churches as possible because i do believe even if everybody doesn't make this shift everybody is asking the question what are we going to do now post-covid as we're entering into a whole new world where most people even christians are going like why would i go to a gathering i mean that's the number one question most are asking christian or not so and it might be the greatest opportunity for the church to go like, wow, maybe we get to re-embrace our calling as a people that aren't here to create gatherings, but are here to make disciples in everyday life. Amen. So, and then let the gatherings come as they will, according to what's needed, but let that be on the end of it, not on the front of it. So, exactly. so I'm ex super excited. I mean, I'll, I have more hope right now for the church than I've ever had, even though most churches have shrunk, but yeah. I believe it's a pruning and it it's is. preparing time that God is bringing about as well as a purifying of the church for what's coming. Yeah. And those that remain, most of them are your most committed people. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you got to work with the willing, like give yeah. your best energy. And I, and I, when I'm interacting with church leaders, um, I mean, it's always like, okay, first of all, just live on mission in your context. Like yeah. where's Jesus sent you and then invest, start by investing in 12. You know, and, and 
the thing, the advantage that we have right now is there has been a lot of really good work done in the Western context that's been yeah. through multiple iterations. Um, like when I was first really, you know, early 2000s, um, I was just trying to grab everything I could, <laughs> you know, learn everything I can. And my best, you know, mentors were over in India, you know, and spending extended time over there. Now it seems like um, it's not a shortcut, but it's like, no, there's actually been a lot of iteration done, you know? And so I want to get to, I want you to share about saturate and what you all are doing. Um, a lot of folks right now might be listening going, uh, I, I get it. I want to keep moving forward. So can you share with uh, us how saturate serves leaders uh, to fill cities with the gospel? Yeah, back in uh, August, I stepped down from being the lead teaching pastor at Doxa, the church that I replanted. Um, some of you know that story um, with a team seven years ago. And the reason why is to get freed up to serve the, the church, Big C Church, especially in North America, but around the world. And the goal is to, to help leaders, one, get united in their city around gospel saturation. Like, How can we, the church, work together to see Jesus expressed everywhere, every day, so that every man, woman, and child gets repeated opportunities to respond to Jesus and follow him in everyday life. Like that's the heart, what we're trying to do. And we believe to do that, the whole church has to work together and the whole church needs to be mobilized. So our desire is how do we not only unite the church to collaborate, but then how do we equip and coach the church to send their people into all of life? Um, so we're, we're aiming towards five key initiatives that we want to see happen in a collaborative way in every city, that they would have prayer and fasting, Amen. significant movements of the spirit through prayer. None of this is going to happen unless God, God does it. Uh, so prayer and fasting, healthy leaders. I'm convinced that what will keep us from moving forward is our egos, our, our own brokenness. And I think the narcissism and codependency that's so prevalent right now in the church has got to be addressed in me as well. Like I've been doing my own work the last couple of years around this, realizing I could get in the way of all this because I make it about me. So we need healthy leaders. We need to have true disciple making strategies and movements. So like commit ourselves to how do we see that happen in every city? Then we would need to see true multiplication be uh, developed, like a multi multiplication mindset. So everything multiplies to the third and fourth generation. And then lastly, uh, we want to make sure everything we do is for the good of the city, that, that mm. when, when we're in a place, the city goes, because you're here, we are better. There's a reason you got to, if you have a tax deduction, <laughs> if you have not the profit status, there's a reason because you actually make the city better and the tax weight gets relieved because you're caring for the poor, you're welcoming in the lonely, you're training up the next generation, you're loving the, the, the lonely and into homes and families. Like you're doing the work that when we read the gospel narrative, Jesus did, when we read the Acts account, the early church did so much so that social services were the church. Amen. <laughs> and so we want to see the, the church united around those five things in the city. And our desire is just to say, how can we serve that through three things? We want to inspire Tell okay. as many stories as we can, because the more people can hear about what God's doing, the more they'll get courage to step out. Just like uh, this conversation, it gives people courage. Second, we want to provide equipping through tools. In fact, we have an online source at saturatetheworld.com you could go to, and we're going we're to give you a free month sub subscription to all of our resources if you want them. 
think that we're going to put it in the chat feature so you know how to get that. Um, so inspire, equip, and then invest. Once people are really giving their life for this, we're going to get more and more time, more and more energy, encourage more resources to come around it. I just had a conversation with five thought leaders uh, just this last week around this kind of work. And they said, hey, if we could just all lend our energy to the cities that are very serious about this, why, why don't we do that? Why don't we just start taking what God's given us? You know, we're in our 50s and 60s. What if we gave it back to the next generation in a few key cities and just invested a lot of time into those places? So those are the three kind of steps we're taking, inspire, equip, and invest in key cities in North America. And we're not alone. It's Christ Together is doing this. Houston yeah. Church Flying Network is starting to talk about this. You guys are talking about this. New things talking about this. Like, there's a, a, a kind of a, a conversation happening across the whole span yeah. of the country saying, how do we all get together around gospel saturation yeah. so that every man, woman, and child will have the opportunity to meet and follow Jesus every day? So, And like you, that's why I am more hopeful than I've ever been. It's I, amazing. I it is amazing because we're not talking about like, hey, how do we fill stadiums to have people raise a hand and make a decision? It's like, no, no, no. no. This is a fundamentally different conversation. Yes. We're starting with the end game of gospel saturation and working backwards. Yes. And, we're, and we're saying disciple making. Yeah. That's number one. <laughs> number yeah. two, we're validating all forms of the church. Number three, we're talking about John 17. How do we have true operational networks of unity and prayer and fasting and and this, this stuff's being realized. It's beginning to grow. And again, you are, you're offering, I think, a free uh, subscription today. Is that right? Yeah, one month to just like, just see if those resources would serve you. Um, you can be praying. What One of our things is like, we want to make it free to anybody who can't afford it, you know? So some people can pay for it for others to get it. Um, but it's, I, I think it's one of the largest um, kind of, one-stop shop places to find as many resources around missional living and everyday life that I know. I know you guys are creating a whole bunch with Kansas City Underground as well, but we're just trying to serve the church as best as possible. So there's mm -hmm. videos, there's PDFs, there's downloadable books, there's all kinds of resources that could serve you in that. Tons of stories. Sometimes you just need to give someone a video with some, you know, stay-at-home mom saying, hey, here's how I do this in my own neighborhood and how God's used it. And it just spurs us on, man. It does. Yeah does also everybody who's listening i've figured out how to hack into the website for free i'm going to put a link in there um <laughs> however it gets out i don't care just get it out <laughs> actually we've got a few minutes and another question that came in uh that we can just you know we don't have to go deep on we'll just touch the surface uh was how do you fund an expression as the micro church and the movement uh that's you know I i'll kick it off one thing I usually say for, you know, to people is like, well, how do you fund your family? That's how you fund it. <laughs> if it's your extended spiritual family, then everybody in the family owns the mission and we fund it. It's like, we fund the meals. We, we fund the care for the poor in our context. We fund the parties in our context. A brother loses his job in COVID. He's going to lose his house and his van. It's like, we all, we're going to come up with $1,500 this month together and we can do that, you know? Um, and then what we do is as people grow as disciple makers, missionary leaders, microchurch leaders, we also ask them to give above and beyond their context to the work of gospel saturation in our entire city. And then with our partners around the world. 
And we've been blown away by the generosity of those missionary leaders and microchurch leaders. They, they're funding with their families, their mission in their context, and they're giving above and beyond it. So that's, that's one piece of it. What else comes to mind for you, Jeff? Yeah, we, we, I use like uh, Israel's uh, thinking about how they did funding. So not that it has to be these numbers, but like they, they were called to give 10% to the festivals. That's the meals, the parties, the celebrations, 10% to the poor, and then 10% to support the temple service and work. And for us, that's the equippers, you know, how do we, how do, and again, I don't, we're not using 10, 10, 10, just those are three buckets to think about. Like how are we giving to those meals that we have together and those parties? Like let's the, we, we fund that, you know, and how do we care for the poor amongst us? We take care of that. And benevolence is always better when you're relationally connected to the people you're serving uh, where it gets in trouble is where you're giving money, but nobody knows the people mm-hmm. and therefore you don't know how they're doing with what we gave them. And so benevolence is when it's relationally connected, it's always a more effective way to deal with caring for the poor amongst us. And then lastly, there are the equippers, you know, Paul does say, don't, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain. And he said, I don't have to take from you, but I, I could receive from you because I'm basically giving you the gospel i'm training you i'm equipping you i'm pouring into you and so he could have asked but he didn't and in some cases <clears throat> we've got people who are tent makers so they they don't need to ask and they, they've got a means by which they fund all their work in other cases because their work takes up so much of their time serving a larger region of of groups and they they don't have as much time to give to another job so they they do receive some support that way so but what's great about this you probably already figured in those three categories there's not a building you're paying for necessarily. Now, some do. Some have equipping centers, and they, but a lot of times those are shared spaces that get used for a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, so that already the overhead of what it costs to do this is very, very much less than right. probably some of the other overhead that you had before. So, um, but that's kind of, I like to think those three buckets are a great way to think about how do we fund the work. Super helpful. And then beyond, you know, tithing offerings uh you've got networks uh like common thread where virtually every single microchurch family is a business is a business you know it's a and uh and they work together like a a chamber of commerce in the kingdom of god where if this this business is a little under right now we can that's okay we we can help because man we're we're strong over here and we and then we've got like our friend Myron Pierce. He's in Omaha, and they've created basically like an entrepreneurial incubator that's launched thirty six businesses in the inner city of Omaha. Oh, and the stories are so amazing. Cool, <laughs> <I love it. laughs> um, and so there, there's a, a multiplicity of ways to come at this. Um, so thank you. It's super helpful, it's Jeff. I just uh, we have just like a couple minutes left. Um, just in closing, you know, why, you know, this year we're, uh, you know, through Leadership Network, we're highlighting this theme of return to microchurch. Why do you think this is so important at this particular moment of time? What is the Lord saying to you about it? Yeah, I said some of it already in the sense that I think this present cultural moment begs for the church to, to return back to, I think, her origins, like I really do believe this is this is a reformation um, of the church to what he originally intended her to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think out of faithfulness to Jesus and what I think is happening, I and I don't I hate that COVID happened, and yet I'm also thankful that for what it both revealed, 
about our deficiencies in discipleship, mm-hmm. as well as what it's now preparing us for if we're willing to step into it, which is a more uh, mobile, mobilized church uh, mm-hmm. in all of life. So I'm really, really excited about that. And then I also, you know, th- this uh, this is just for those of you who are a little bit older. I mean, if you're paying attention, um, the millennials are, are, are already kind of most of them are walking on to something else. Gen Z is definitely sayonara <laughs> in most cases on the, the past form of church. You know, they really are. My kids are in that generation and uh, they're, they're wanting something more relational, more uh, authentic in their language, you know, where they, they already have enough fake, especially with the metaverse and everything else. They're like, is there any place where people are going to show up and be real? And so I, I think the next generation is begging for something about like this. And, and, and again, we don't do it just because of the, the times right. we it's always want to tactic, be, right? No, we always want to be a prophetic witness of what God's called his people to be in all times. Um, but with that said, is it possible that that prophetic witness is going to come through a next generation saying, kind of calling us out and confronting, confronting what they've seen? Um, cause the church does need to repent. Um, yes. and so I do think repentance is always a gift because what it, what it is, is it's the opportunity to see God afresh, to re-embrace our calling and to receive his grace for the future as we move ahead with his presence. And that's what repentance is. So what an opportunity in whatever ways God's leading the church to repent. You know, we're, we, we're probably still wrong on a bunch of stuff that we don't see yet. We are but if we keep repenting every day forward towards his call. I think we have a great amount of joy of receiving his grace for the the future. So, you know, in the uh, underground, we talk about repentance. One of the ways we talk about it, it's basically putting your head on Jesus chest and saying, Lord, you're right. Yeah. About everything. And just want to invite everyone who's listening to this either live or maybe later uh, at the end of this time, um, stay with Jesus. Put, put your head on his chest and listen for his voice and obey. Um, repentance is the only way forward. And the, the endless supply of grace will never, ever run dry. And yeah. so we, we invite you into that repentance um, daily. Let it be quick. Let it be common. Let it be continuous. And may your joy be full. A- any final words, Jeff? Now, in some ways, I think you just said it, but I want to restate it. All of this starts with your heart Amen. and your own personal repentance and obedience. Um, you'll never lead farther than than where you're at with Jesus. And uh, if you try to outpace that, it'll it, it'll wear you out, mm-hmm. and it'll it'll mislead people anyway. So, yeah, it start with you and your own sphere of influence. Be faithful there. That's what Jesus did himself. He had his three, he had his 12. He, he didn't have a massive group of disciples. He had a very small band of disciples that had a massive impact over the centuries. So, yeah. That's why we're here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.